Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash style. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rating hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash style, as in peristyle. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-T-Y-L-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash style. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to do a little preview. Big Pac-12 South matchup coming up this weekend with the undefeated Colorado Buffaloes visiting the USC Trojans in the Coliseum. And we got Adam Munster-Tiger here from buffstampede.com. He's going to talk about the buffs. We're also going to talk about the uh, betting lines with Rafael Esparza. We do that every week. He's with Doc Sports Service and uh, he's an odds maker consultant for mybookie.ag. So we'll Get him on a little bit later on the show, but right now we wanted to welcome welcome in Adam Mustard Tiger. What's up, Adam? How you doing, man? Hey, Ryan. I'm doing pretty well. It is a cold in chilly, gloomy day here in Boulder, but I like your energy. You're getting me getting me revved up for this interview. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's, it's like 70 <laughs> here or something. I don't know. It's like a shorts and t-shirts. It's probably not that way in Colorado. You know, usually October is beautiful here. It's usually usually my favorite weather month. You get you know kind of that chill in the air in the morning, and then it warms up to you know high sixties, low seventies most days. But I don't know. I guess this is what an El Nino year where they're bracing us for a cold winter here. So oh. it's kind of started early. Nice. All right. Well, if you guys want to follow Adam, he's a great follow on Twitter at Adam CM seven seven seven, and he's the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Been doing that since 2003. Crazy. Uh, we've been we've been doing this a long time, Adam. <laughs> a really long time, and, and you know, unlike you, I've seen some really bad football, right? <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been aside from 16, and you know, early on this year, and uh, they, they did go to a bowl game back in 07. But yeah, it's been uh, a lot of uh, tough years on this beat here, and, and definitely a lot more energy, a lot more of a buzz around this program than we've, you know, again we had it for a brief period of time there in 16, but even that year they lost at Michigan earlier in the year. So a five and zero start is the best start they've had in, in two decades. Pretty, pretty special. I love this about uh, Mike McIntyre. So this is his sixth season, I believe uh, four times Colorado's finished last in the South and one time they've won it. So it's either like a feast or famine um, I think you'd rather have that than like Utah finishing like second all the time and not ever winning it. Um, but this is one of those years where it looks like 
they could win it again. They're the only undefeated team left in the conference. So I guess I can book my travel then for the, the Pac-12 championship. Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying this This looks like, I mean, obviously this weekend is important, but this looks like this could be one of those teams. You know, this isn't going to be a last, you know, they're not going to finish last, I can tell you that. Well, it's interesting. Just obviously preseason publications didn't really give Colorado much of a chance. And I get it to some extent, losing Philip Lindsay, who's now with the Denver Broncos and doing good things with them. And, uh, you know, you you just kind of thought with three senior receivers, if you didn't do a whole lot of research in that group would maybe take a step back, but there was a lot of young talent in this program in, you know, certain guys like LaVisca Chenault that should have been on the field more than he was last year. Uh, so there was kind of this quiet confidence within this group. And you're always going to have that optimistic tone during preseason camp that happens. I mean, that even happened the year Colorado won one in 11 under John Embry. It's just the nature of it. You're, you know, hope springs eternal. Uh, but this year, there really was just kind of this feeling around the program that not only did they have this quiet confidence, but the guys genuinely liked each other, which I think is sometimes an underrated thing with a college team, especially when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds that can really ride momentum one way or the other. And certainly, getting off to a quick start in, in winning at Nebraska. I know the Cornhuskers are down this year, but you're still playing in front of 90,000 people, and they battled back from adversity in that game, and it kind of gave this this program a jolt, and, and they've been kind of riding that now. Up until last week, their opponents had a combined record of 1-16, so that certainly played into it a little bit, but I think we can both agree that Arizona State's a pretty darn solid football team. Yeah. And, uh, if they didn't have to face the three heavyweights from the North this year, I would give them a chance to contend for the South. Uh, I don't think now with them losing at CU, having a couple conference losses, that's probably not going to happen for them. But that's a, a pretty good football team. And again, they had really good second half adjustments, which uh, again, covering this program since 03, a lot of times they'd come out with a decent plan and then teams would adjust and Colorado would never have that second adjustment and this year they've been really good at that. DJ Elliott is in his second year as a defense coordinator here. Uh, he took quite a bit of criticism last year, but they were going to take a big step back defensively no matter what. And, and certainly Jim Levitt chased the money, but I think he was going to leave no matter what. He just kind of saw that it was going to it was going to take a couple of years to rebuild the defense after what they lost following the 2016 season in terms of talent. A bunch of guys that are in the NFL now, so they've been able to re, re, regroup there. They're more experienced defensively, and then. Uh, LaVisca Chenault's been a one-man show. Steven Montez is, is as efficient as any quarterback in the country. So it's certainly, you know, it's, it's if you looked at things, what would be the best-case scenario for this program through five games? It's been pretty much that case. Uh, they have had one injury to Juwan Winfrey, who uh, we were debating in the preseason, Juwan Winfrey or LaVisca Chenault, who's going to lead this team in receiving yards? So that's how talented he is. Um, and uh, he's really been the only big guy that's been, been – been banged up early on the season so pretty much every, everything's got the right way for colorado this year but they you know now this week going out to, to usc they, this uh, is a usc program they've never beaten so it's it's a big challenge for sure yeah and the, you know you talk about the like confidence coming into the season uh for the pack the podcast of champions i tried to watch or i did watch everybody's spring game on the pac-12 network and I did come away impressed with both Colorado and Utah. Uh, Utah's got a little bit slower start, but they they looked more like what I thought they would look when they played Stanford when they get the offense going. But the the weird thing was it, it did seem watching the Colorado one, it seemed like there was like secrets. Like wait till you guys see this, and obviously one of them 
is LaVisca Chanel, who's like, you know, maybe the best player in the conference, one of the best in the country. He's just been ridiculous. If I don't know if you want to tell the story of like where he came from, how Colorado got him. And, um, you know, he, he just seemed to burst on the scene as a superstar and no one really heard of him before. Yeah, he wasn't an under-the-radar guy. He went to DeSoto High School, which is one of the powerhouses, not only in Texas, but nationally. It's a program that produces a lot of talent. And he had an offer from Alabama. So this was not a kid that uh, you know was not recruited by other schools. Darren Cheverini, who's their, their offensive coordinator now, their play caller, uh, came to Boulder uh, right before that 16 season and just became a really dynamic recruiter from day one. He, he went to CU. He was a receiver for the buffs and went on to play in the NFL. And he's a really charismatic, uh, he's got a lot of swag to him for, for a guy that's a little bit older, you know, kids can really relate to him. And he made a connection with LaVisca Chanel's family. And also Katie Nixon, who is their second leading receiver was also a four-star guy coming out of DeSoto, that same class. And LaVisca committed first between those two. And, and he said a few times that it, it was a, it was, he looked at it as a challenge to go somewhere and not only create a name for himself in college, but help lift up a program versus going to an Alabama and just kind of being, you know, the next Julio Jones type guy. He wanted to be uh, kind of create a legacy somewhere else, you know, at a school that wasn't known to be a football powerhouse. He's a really quiet kid, not a flashy guy at all. Um, and so it, it was a, certainly has played out the way that he hoped it would um, in terms of you know, if it's not for LaVisca Chenault, this team is not 5-0 and right now. And they're not probably as much in the conversation for the South as they are right now without him. So he's been the catalyst for this program. And uh, he's a guy that actually has a wide receiver lifts with the offensive lineman. And the reason he does that is because he lifts so much more than the other receivers. It takes too much time for them to take off all those, put on all those plates and take them off when he goes to lift. Uh, so he's <laughs> his lower body is built, uh, you know, like an NFL tight end bordering on, uh, you know, a college offensive lineman. Um, and, and the knock on him actually coming out of high school, strangely, was that he didn't have great top end speed. It was kind of a rumor that he was more like a four, six guy. Uh, but when other team teams try to tackle him and other guys try to get a good angle on him, he seems to find a way just to outrun them. So he's really kind of the, the perfect example. When you talk about football speed, he seems to get faster when the, the pads go on and his versatility is probably his number one attribute just because being so talented, they put him out wide every time other teams are going to bracket him. It's going to be harder for him to get the ball. Colorado moves him everywhere. He he's lined up in the wildcat formation. He'll line up at running back. He'll line up at tight end. He'll line up in the slot. He'll line up outside He'll do some jet sweeps. Uh, he pretty much does it all for the, for this offense. Um, and even when he's not making plays, it's really opened things up for other guys. Trayvon McMillan, the graduate transfer running back from Virginia Tech, has rushed for over 100 yards in four or five games. And he's a talented back on his own. He would have good stats without LaVisca in the offense. But just the way that LaVisca and other teams are focusing on number two all the time, it's opened things up in the ground game as well. Yeah, he was the next guy I was going to talk about because we talked about him during the the offseason, uh, transferring in for Virginia Tech, and uh, he had over 2,100 yards and 16 touchdowns there. But you, I think you told me he was a powerful runner, yards after contact, and that's exactly what I see when I'm watching him uh, run. It's really hard to bring him down with first, you know, the first time you touch him and just seems to be able to bowl people over uh, afterwards. And just it's it, to me, it's like a great compliment to guys that – weren't around really last year to, to contribute Chanel and, and McMillan 
to go along with Steven Montez, who to me looks more like he did when he was like coming in for Sefa when he was hurt instead of like what he looked like last year. It's like a three-headed monster on offense. And it just seems to, even though two of the pieces are essentially new, it seems like it's clicking right away. Yeah. And, and you know, Steven Montez, he did get some of that, that action in, in 16 when, when Sefa Lufau was getting banged up, but even Steven didn't really play well that year when he was thrust into games. Uh, he did have that great game against Oregon and, and had a couple other moments, but uh, you know, he was still pretty rough around the edges. And, and, and so 17 was really his first full season as a starter. And, you know, uh, he wasn't a team captain. They named 17 captains this past off season. And what we just kept hearing is that Steven Montez likes being a college student. He's in a fraternity and uh, was not, not to say lazy and, and wasn't a good teammate. He just was not, 100% dedicating himself to being a great quarterback. Uh, he always had those physical tools. I remember seeing him at a camp when he was in high school, and, and he had a just great arm strength as, as a string bean junior in, in high school um, and good athleticism there too. He just kind of needed to harness all that and, and finally gain some maturity, and it really helped Colorado that Brian Lindgren left. Not, not that he was a bad quarterback's coach, but he was a really cerebral type guy, and he's now Oregon State's offensive coordinator. They they promoted Darren Cheverini to be the play caller, and that's worked out well, and they brought in Kurt Roper as a new quarterback's coach. This is a guy that's been around coaching quarterbacks for a long time. He actually coached Eli Manning when he was at Ole Miss, and he's been an offensive coordinator at a bunch of places, Duke, South Carolina, and he came into Boulder and he's not the play caller. So he could just focus his energy on Steven Montez and those other quarterbacks. And he sat down with Steven and said, look, you know, do you really want to be a great quarterback? Because if you do, you got to listen to me and you got to actually spend a lot more time in the film room. And it just kind of clicked for Montez. And he was up late at night watching film on his tablet and he'd be calling Kurt Roper for advice on certain coverages. And so I, I don't know if it was simply Kurt Roper getting in his ear or what it was, but Montez just seemed to really mature. Uh, and even though he wasn't, again, wasn't one of those 17 captains, he's evolved into maybe this program's best leader in, in the last five weeks and has really taken ownership of this program. It certainly helps when you have success and other guys are willing to listen to you because uh, you're one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country. Uh, he brought his entire offensive line, insisted that all – Seven of the offensive linemen that played in the Arizona State game joined him in the postgame press conference, another show of leadership. Uh, so it's been pretty impressive just to kind of watch his evolution. The offense definitely helps him. They're, they're, it helps to have a LaVisca Chenault in the ground game that's working. <laughs> um, and, and some of these shorter routes are helping his completion percentage. But he's played pretty close to perfect uh, this season. He's had a couple throws maybe he'd want back. But even if you look last week i think he had seven seven or eight incompletions and at least five of those were just really smart throwaway play so it's, it's really come together for him from he always had the physical tools and now the, the mental is catching up and he can read defenses better dissect them after putting in that film study so he's going to get tested I, i'm sure there's going to be times this year where he might revert back to a little bit more being a little bit more inconsistent when he faces some of the top defenses in, in the conference but uh, so far through five games, he's been playing at, a, at an all-conference level. I mean, Herbert from Oregon is the only guy I can think of that's been more efficient than him so far this year. Yeah. Uh, so really, really love the offense, what I've seen so far. If you remember, you know, 2016, the defensive side, I believe it was more of a senior-laden defense. And, um, you know, a lot of those guys end up moving on and that, you know, that hurt the defense last year. But 
a uh, couple of linebackers that both, uh, you know, bring back a, a ton of tackles. What what have you seen from this Colorado defense so far? Well, when you were talking about uh, on a couple of guys that emerged that weren't in the program last year, a guy defensively, Nate Lamon, he did play a little bit, I guess I should say, as a true freshman, but only, I think it was 70 snaps total on, on the whole season. He's the guy that's emerged uh, been playing at an all-conference level. He was the past defensive player of the week week one and has really followed that up he was disqualified from the arizona state game last saturday in the first half for a kind of a questionable targeting call but he's been just a stud defensively one of the hardest hitters on, on the team and it always seems to be in the right place just kind of has that football instincts and rick gamboa is the other inside linebacker and, and he's uh, a fifth-year senior that's played a ton of football team captain he doesn't have the greatest athleticism, though. He's always just been more of the kind of that football IQ that knows how to be in the right spot. So sometimes when he can't get to the play, Nate Lamon kind of makes up for that. So they've been a really good duo there. Defensive line was the reason, in my opinion, this Colorado team didn't go to a bowl game in 2017. They fell just one win short of that. They were 5-7, and seven, and it was a D-line that was consistently getting pushed off the line three yards and made it really tough for, for those linebackers. They run a three – uh, three down line and scheme. So if you're not taking up, if you're not space heaters down there up front with those three defensive linemen, if you're not taking up lockers, it's not going to make your linebackers look very good. And that was the case that Colorado's linebackers wore as last season went on. They brought in Mustafa Johnson from the JUCO ranks, and he's honestly been the most disruptive defensive lineman, at least through five games this year. Uh, since I've been covering this program, he just is, it's not, again, when you run a three down line and scheme, those guys are mostly taking on blockers, not making a ton of tackles themselves. They're letting the guys behind them clean up. And, but Mustafa has been able to shed, take on those blockers, shed them, and make plays in the backfield. He had a huge sack when Arizona State was close to tying the game last week. It was uh, second in, at the two-yard two line. Uh, Colorado was up by seven points, and Mustafa Johnson gets in the backfield, sacks Wilkins. They hold on third down, and all of a sudden, kind of the momentum of the game changed. Uh, so he's been a huge addition for them. Javier Edwards, there's their nose tackle again. Going back, if you have a three down line scheme, uh, if that nose tackle is not taking up both a gaps, it, it makes it again really tough on, on the guys behind him. And Edwards struggled last year. He came in from the JUCO ranks, weighing 395 pounds. And he was explosive for a player too, but he would just wear down. He didn't have the conditioning behind him. Uh, he's down to about 325 now. So. That's a lot of weight that he's lost in the last year and a half since he's been in Boulder. and He's been much more conditioned, and playing a lot more snaps, and uh, has been really good. Uh, we do a top 10 performers list after each game, and, and he's been on that list even though he hasn't put up gaudy stats. He's just not going to in that nose tackle role. But he's been on that list three or five games this year. That's how well he's played. Uh, the secondary, I, I, don't, I didn't look this week. Going into the Arizona State game, they rank second in pass defense efficiency. I, I was telling Chris Carbon, our Arizona State publisher, that I think that group's overrated. Uh, I don't think they're quite as good as, as that stat would suggest. Akil Harry did, did expose some stuff in the first half, but then when Harry got banged up in the second half, uh, they, they were able to lock down uh, Arizona State's second, uh, receivers a little bit better. Still, I think that's a group with good quarter quarterback play that can be exploited a little bit. It's not that it's not a, uh, it's a bad unit. It's just if you're looking at the defense as a whole, that's probably the area that, that's most likely to get exploited against some of these top-tier teams. And obviously, going against USC and Washington this week, I think that group's going to be tested uh, quite a bit here the next couple weeks. 
What's uh what's the deal with Drew Lewis? He he had a whole bunch of tackles last year, right? Like over 100 tackles or something. Yeah, yeah, he led the team in 119 tackles and actually it was Nate Lamon who I talked about being their best defensive player now as a true sophomore, really just emerging at the beginning of the camp and they said, "You know what? Drew, you're a senior. This, we're asking you to make a, a selfless move here. Can you move to outside linebacker? He had done that a little bit earlier. He signed with Washington out of high school as, as more of an outside linebacker recruit. Um, and, yeah, so he, he was willing to move to outside backer to allow Nate Lamon to get on the field more because they weren't going to take Rick Gambo off the field given all, all his experience. And, yeah, he it took a little time to adjust to – Moving to outside backer, he hadn't played that since his redshirt year at Washington. Um, and then it was in week four against UCLA, he had two sacks and it seemed to kind of rev him up. And last week I mentioned that Nate Landon was disqualified. So it was it was nice for Colorado. Their best defensive player gets disqualified. You can move Drew Lewis back to Jack Linebacker, and, and he did well. He led the team in tackles with 10 in, in that Arizona State game. So, uh, he's starting to get more comfortable. He'll, he'll be back at outside backer this week uh, against USC. So they've they've got uh, two seniors at linebacker, and then their best player, Landon, uh, is a sophomore backer. So they, that's really where the, the, the talent uh, shines on defense for Colorado. Then one last thing just uh, on the uh, specialist. I know uh, Alex Kinney, uh, he had the best punting average in the country uh, like the last five games last season. And uh, there's like a 31 year old kicker too. <laughs> the team. What's the what's the specialist and stuff yeah. been like? Yeah. So yeah, Alex Kinney actually broke his collarbone week two against Nebraska. He's getting close to being back, but he's going to be out again this week. And they have a former walk on Davis Price that's handling punting duties. He, you know, he he's trying. It's not the the job that he was expected to have this year. You don't often see a punter get injured, uh, so. He struggled a little bit. He shanked one last week, and actually Arizona State had an offsides penalty. They kind of gave him another chance, and he hit that one forty-five yards. But he's yeah, he's he's averaging less than forty yards per punt, so that could potentially be an issue on Saturday. Um, James Stefano, you mentioned being thirty-one years old. Uh, yeah, kind of an inter- interesting story there. He was a professional soccer player. He's from Australia. Uh, played professional soccer, was done with that, and he was starting to go into the business world. And he had a buddy. There's that. Pro Kick Academy with the, it produces a lot of punters more so than, than kickers. Uh, you, you see a lot of those guys that actually go to Utah and have had, have had a lot of success. He was just at a park with a buddy that was working at Pro Kick Australia, and his buddy saw how well he was kicking the ball and said, you know, you might want to give this a try. So he went to Pro Kick, and they coached him up a little bit. He got the opportunity to come over to Colorado last year as a 30-year-old true freshman and uh, he he is the first guy to make fun of his age, and so he's had a, a good attitude about that. And he's even joked that he's kind of immature, so he fits in well with these college kids. Uh, but it, yeah, it's kind of a cool story. He has dealt with a little bit of a groin issue. Super consistent until some of the critical moments this year. He missed two field goals late in the game at Nebraska. Uh, he missed his only field goal attempt against Arizona State, so that's a little bit of an issue. Again, he he had been a really solid kicker. Uh, but this groin issue, he's not been kicking at 100%. So special teams going into the season was maybe the area you felt best about this Colorado team. And, and all of a sudden with the injury to Kenny and Stefano's uh, issues here the last few weeks, it's that's maybe one of the bigger concerns all of a sudden. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, that'll be something to watch for sure. Uh, don't know. USC's favored by a touchdown on this one. Seems a little 
seems a little high for me. Uh, the Trojans aren't very good at covering the spread. Uh, they're one and four this season. Only the only spread they covered is because of a missed field, uh, missed extra point <laughs> against Arizona. Um, I don't know. What do you kind of expect yeah. from this one? I expect a pretty competitive game. You know, to, to, when Colorado went out there a couple of years ago with that talented 16 squad, they battled. It, it was a good game. I think they lost that game by a field goal. Colorado's never beaten USC. They're they're zero and twelve against them. Uh, at the press luncheon, you know, the players were asked about that, and they said, you know, we're, we're kind of taking that. We're trying to take that one game at a time mentality, and, and it just so happens this is the game where we're going up against a team we've never beaten. So of course now it's it's extra motivation. It's certainly something those guys are thinking about. Um, yeah, I think seven is probably pretty high too, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm leaning towards. I've, I've predicted that USC wins a one-point game uh, somewhere around 31-30. Um, the only thing that would surprise me is if either team ran away from the other team. I would expect to have a back-and-forth type game. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, I think it'll be close. And it might come down to some weird special teams plays or something or, or turnovers. USC's not been very good at forcing them. If they end up turning the ball over a bunch, you could see them easily losing. If you know whoever turns the ball over the most, that, that might be the, their downfall. But Seems pretty even, you know, um, but that, that's why we love college football. We want to watch this one. So can Colorado stay undefeated? Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. It's uh, this is a big one for the South and uh, you know, Colorado's got at USC at Washington. So that's not easy. And then USC has three in the month of October, uh, Colorado, Arizona state, both at home and then and at Utah. So I think we'll know a lot about this Pac-12 South race uh, after uh, the month of October. I mean, I don't think there's any question whoever wins between Colorado and USC on Saturday it has to be the, the, the front runner, right? I mean, yeah. because you look at Utah and Arizona State both having to play all three heavyweights from the north. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Khalil Tate might go off a couple times and Arizona might win a couple games they're not supposed to, but I don't really see them contending. Uh, I really feel like whoever wins on Saturday is going to have to feel really, really good about their, their chances of winning the, the division. I would think so. The one you got can't count as you can't count out Utah. They don't play three powers from the. They play four. <laughs> they play Stanford. They've already played Washington, Washington State. Then they played Stanford, and they still have to play Oregon later on the season. So I'm kind of <laughs> regretting. I picked them to win the South. I'm kind of regretting that at this point, just seeing the schedule. But they could do it if they run the table. They could do it with a you know seven and two record. But it's not going to be easy to run the table. I think that everyone in the South, I think, yeah. could you could win or lose, but playing, you know, Oregon at home is going to be tough. But if they can split four, you know, two and two with the two Washington schools, Stanford and Oregon, that's a pretty brutal stretch. That would be uh, that would be pretty impressive for uh, Kyle Whittingham's crew. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, again kind of going. It, there's a lot of parity in the South this year. I think you're going to just see these teams kind of beat up on each other throughout the season, which again it, it keeps. The Pac-12 out of kind of the national spotlight, but at least it makes for entertaining football games. Yeah. Well, this should be a really fun one. Um, can't wait to uh, get out there to the Coliseum and check it out. Adam Monster Tiger, buffstampede.com. Again, thanks so much for, for coming on and give us a little preview. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right. That's Adam Monster Tiger. Make sure you check him out. We'll be back in a couple seconds here. We'll talk about the betting lines. Uh, stay tuned for that. You know, ever since I started the Peristyle Podcast, people have been asking me for betting advice. Are the Trojans going to cover the spread? Truth is, I don't know who's going to win. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. 
Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. You can lay down some cash and win big today. That's why I'm urging you to go make your way to my bookie. You win and they pay. They have in-game, live betting, and the most rewarding player perks in the business and all you fantasy gurus out there. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So if you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code PARASTYLE to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code PARASTYLE when creating an account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, as promised, we got Rafael Esparza on the line. You can follow him on Twitter at VSI Doc Sports. He's with Doc Sports Service. And he's an odds maker consultant for mybookie.ag. Rafael, thanks for coming on again. How are you? Pretty good. How about yourself? Can't complain. It's a college football weekend. Got a little time off. I get to watch a lot of the other games last weekend since USC had a bye. I didn't have to go travel, cover anything. Uh, but this weekend, a big one in the in the Coliseum with undefeated Colorado coming to town. Yeah, I mean, big uh, big game, a big win for them last weekend. Uh, a nice uh, if you like close, hard fought uh, football in any conference. Uh, Colorado, Arizona State last week it was good because it was going back and forth. A tie game, Arizona would take the lead. Colorado tied up, they'll take the lead. Arizona State ties it up. It was just uh, a back and forth. Colorado uh, gets the seven point uh, victory, and they're, like I said, they're a perfect five and zero, oh, and they, that was a big win for them because they, they have their uh, a meet of their schedule coming up after this game. They, they go to Washington right after this game. So if you're uh, Colorado, if there's a, a road victory that I don't want to say must have, it, it could be this one because you don't want to go into Washington losing uh, a game uh, a game against USC because uh, you might have back to back loss. You could be five and zero oh, and then going to an easy victory. Uh, in two weeks against Oregon State, uh, losing back-to-back games. So I'm really excited for this game uh, at the Coliseum USC. Lane 7 at home, uh, totals 57 against an undefeated Colorado. Should be a fun, exciting one. So glad it's a 10:30 one, so I don't have to uh, worry about other games interfering <laughs> so I can just sit back and watch this one. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a late one at the Coliseum. Uh, I'll be out there checking it out. It's been a while since we've been back in the Coliseum. Um, if I'm not mistaken, so USC overall, you said that the line is seven, uh, seemed high to me when I first came out. USC is one and four this season gets a spread. We've talked about that before and they were a missed extra point away, just a missed extra point from being, uh, oh, and five. I believe Colorado is five and oh against the spread. Just looking at the games. I think, I believe they're five and oh, is there, is there a game they did not cover this year? Do you know? I did not cover the game against uh, New Hampshire. They were minus 37 and a half, and they only, they, I shouldn't say only one, but they won 45 to 14. Okay. Uh, that game, they didn't cover it. But I know the number seems had a high, and I, I, I had Colorado last week against Arizona getting that, a big victory. But if you look at Colorado, they played three straight home games, and they barely beat Nebraska, which everyone in the Big Ten has been beating up Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, this game, I think this game, we're really, really going to see A, that extra week off prepare USC, and B, did that 24 20 road victory at Arizona inspire them to have great practices uh, by week and, and be prepared for, I, I want to say, the second half of the season. Because, like I said, after this bye week, they not only do they, they get Colorado at home, but they go to Utah 
uh, next week. And that's a tough place to beat the Utes at home. And then they go to Arizona, then Arizona State comes to the Coliseum. So this game right here is going to see if USC is going to go to a nice bowl game or is USC just going to hang around and say, oh, well, let's just wait for next year and maybe get to a better bowl game. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's a tough stretch in October. At least it's an important one with you, what you're talking about. Colorado is undefeated. Arizona State, who, you know, Colorado just beat uh, by seven. They covered that spread, too. I think Arizona State's a really good team, but they, I don't want to say really good, but they're a good team. They just can play with everybody that they're, you know, that they're playing with. It's kind of like a Herm Edwards, like NFL, like you're trying to go nine and seven and make the playoffs. And that doesn't, that's not really how it works in college. But um, I think that's a, you know, they still got talent. Nikhil Harry's great. Uh, Manny Wilkins. And then, of course, like you said, going to Utah. So it's going to be a really interesting stretch. Uh, for the Pac-12, it's almost like you need Colorado to stay undefeated, but to to for, to expect Colorado to win on the road at USC and Washington back to back, probably probably not likely. Um, you know, this could be the the next two weeks we could see Colorado come back to earth or become a big national story. Yeah, I mean, and JT Daniels, uh, who says he he was glad that he was sad that they had a bye week because they had back to back wins, beating Washington by three. Arizona on a roll by four, but he didn't throw any interceptions in those back-to-back wins. Uh, and he said he was in the finally in the group. He thought the team was, was was pulling together after that loss against Texas. So, like I said, this coming up a bye week, I think I think it's going to be a plus. Uh, you don't want to go in a bye week losing back-to-back games. You want to go to a bye week with winning because then practice is a lot fun and you get the you're, you're in a better mood for to prepare for your next game of the week off and, and get the. Uh, cure some wounds if you have any bumps or bruises. But yeah, I think uh, look for JT Daniels. I think he's going to have another big game like he did at home uh, against Washington State. Uh, I'm like I said again, I'm really excited to to watch this game. And I think I think we're going to maybe see the USC team we thought we were going to see uh, when the season started. So you're thinking that that the Trojans will cover the spread then? I'm almost I'm I'm almost pulling out because I think I, again I'm I'm not a hundred and ten percent sold on Colorado. They had three easy road games. I didn't like the way they played Nebraska. I think we'll finally see what Nebraska really is now. This is the true 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 conference road game that the Buffs have to come undefeated. I I, I think they taste their 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 first out this week, and I'm thinking USC wins and covers. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I could see like. I was talking, I forget who I was talking to, but it does get the feeling that this could be the game off the bye week that USC plays up to their potential. All the talent that they got on the team, you could kind of see that happening. Um, But we haven't really seen it this year. So you're kind of, you know, relying on this team to do something that we really haven't seen playing anywhere close to their potential. Maybe, you know, maybe a little bit against Washington State, but certainly, you know, 18 penalties, all the mistakes, uh, turnovers and everything against Arizona. The last time we saw him, we didn't see him there. But I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm still gonna. T- I think I'm gonna take Colorado and uh, and the points. But um, I, I feel like this could be the game where USC just breaks out, and you're like, yeah, that's the team we expected. It would be bad news for Colorado because everyone will just say, well, okay, they were a paper tiger, they weren't for real. But it might just be USC comes out and plays their best game of the season, and I could see that happening. Yeah, so so next week when we're talking, one of us would be a winner and one of us would be a loser since you're taking Colorado. <laughs> I've been pretty good with picking uh, USC, but against USC, we'll see if they uh, could change it up this time. All right, Rafael Sparza, man, I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your insights. What about the over-under real quick before we let you go? Any thoughts on that? 
Uh, I like the way USC played defense against Arizona. I think their defense is going to start turning around because they gave up back-to-back 30-plus points, uh, 36 to Washington, 37 to Texas. I, I like defense on this one, so I'm leaning towards the under on this game. The total is 57. I thought it would be around 58, 57. I think there's still value on the under at 57. All right. Uh, Rafael Esparza, follow him on Twitter, VSI Doc Sports. Thanks again, man, for coming on. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. All right. You too. All right. Before we uh, take off, there a few extra questions that were sent in this week. I wanted to do my best to answer them. 1977 Trojan wrote in. He said, I liked your article showing which college football teams have the highest number of four and five star players on their roster. It's painfully obvious that the Trojans are not playing up to their abilities relative to teams like Alabama, Ohio State or Georgia. The real problem is that perhaps the USC coaches are coaching up to their abilities if you don't know how or incapable of coaching really talented players, then the end result is what we have seen this season. Physically underwhelming play at the line of scrimmage, lack of discipline with penalties, poor play calling. The team has been unprepared to play with intensity for some time now. It looks like more of the same every week. Could things change perhaps? Not holding my breath. Thanks, uh, 1977 Trojan. So basically the story I wrote, um, if you haven't seen it up on the site on uscfootball.com, uh, I was using the... So 24-7 Sports puts out a uh, a talent composite index, basically, that will show the roster for each program and give it a rating similar to how they rate, and they give a number to uh, everyone's recruiting class. Now, this is not just adding up the recruiting classes. This is actually who is on the roster. So USC would actually be probably ranked a little higher than where they were, uh, but they've lost some key people or, or highly ranked people. So they, they use the recruiting rankings from the 24-7 composite. Um, and you bring those in. And so, you know, USC has eight five-stars currently on the roster, former five-stars. But they've lost guys like Joseph Lewis, who is a five-star, uh, Jack Jones, who is a five-star. So those go, those guys are not counted on their roster uh, for the talent. Um, and you look at the when – I, when I put it together and looked at the top 25 on the – the talent composite USC was the highest ranked team that was not ranked in the AP poll. Um, it was the only top 25 team that was either not ranked in the AP poll or didn't have a head coaching change. So like Florida state, for example, was number five. So they've had some really good recruiting classes, obviously uh, they are not ranked, but they switched their head coach. So that, I mean, that's, I don't, I'm not saying that's understandable, but that's, something that's different. Um, USC is the only program that's had like the same head coach and uh, isn't ranked in the AP poll. So that's what I was kind of looking at. And then some people say, well, that doesn't matter. There, you know, I've got a lot of people tell me there's not a lot of talent on the team, which I think is complete bunk there. I think there is a lot of talent on the team. And I guess to, to show it, do the recruiting rankings and who's left on the roster, no, I, I mean, it doesn't tell the whole story, but I think it tells a lot of the story. And if you look at the top three teams in 24-7's talent index, talent uh, composite, who are they? They're Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. Those also are the top three teams ranked in the AP poll. So there's a correlation there at the very top. The The anomaly is that USC is number four, and they're nowhere near the top four, you know, three or four in the AP poll. So I think it's a pretty good indication of you've brought in the programs that are up there in the top 10 of the composite, you know, talent composite. You've brought in a ton of talent. I don't think it's a question that USC's brought in a ton of talent. Um, and you see it on the roster. It's there. So it's just what is USC doing with it? So thanks for that question. 
Uh, Don said, he had, we had a couple questions from Don. To your knowledge, has Helton ever helped or fought for a player who has ex- experienced possible student behavior issues such as the Bolden situation? Does Helton fight for his players or is he a coach that's afraid to stick up for his players? Uh, don't think that Helton should be, don't you think he should be more of an advocate for his players? That's very complicated. So um, I don't think he's going to, I don't even want to say stick his neck out, but he's someone that once it becomes a university matter, he's letting it become a university matter. And I've, you know, I've said this before. So if, if there was some sort of injustice and they felt behind the scenes, we don't know. I'm not really sure. Like if he felt that Bubba Bolden was uh, unjustly uh, suspended for 28 weeks, then, and he, and you know, then it's a question of, would he want to do something and can he do anything? And I think there's all these privacy laws and stuff that go on uh, with this kind of stuff where I, I don't think there's a lot he could do. Um, now that is to say, if this was switched, if this was, it's not just him too. I think it's more of the administration and would they be playing ball with him? If you're talking about a place like Alabama where Nick Saban has all this power, I'm sure the administration, I'm sure everything around it would, there would be a little bit different approach because you have this powerful figure in Nick Saban and Clay Helton just isn't that. And when you hire someone that, you know, he's, a, he's a guy that's happy to be there and anyone would be, you, that's a great job. You, 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 you know, take your hat off to him and Hey, this is great, but he's not someone that's going to be uh, causing waves. And if he felt really strongly that Bubba Bolden was railroaded or whatever it was, that was, you know, in an injustice, I'm just not sure he's, at this point in his career, he's ready to stay, come out and say, hey, this is wrong. This has got to change. Stand up to whoever he needs to stand up to. I'm not sure he would do that. And I'm not saying he should. Um, but I think if you're Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, someone that's been doing this a long time and you have a lot of clout, I think you could. I think something like that could happen and, and would happen. And I just don't think it's the case here. Um, and, you know, it, I'm not putting that on Clay Helton. I mean, that's that's the kind of path you went down. You didn't want someone that was going to wield all kinds of power. You you and you uh, promoted from within. And uh, you know, if Pete Carroll was around, if this was during the Pete Carroll years, I I think he would probably try to do more. Now maybe he could do nothing. There's it's different now. There's all kinds of new you know. There's whole different departments that deal with this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. You know, it's hard for us to say. Dan Weber had some really interesting things to say about this. You can listen to the podcast we put up, or also. Check out Instant Analysis. Um, he tried to talk to Clay Elton about it, and Clay wasn't going to say anything about He made a statement, and that was it. Just wished Bubba Boulder well and moved on. So, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of where we are on that. So, Don, thank you for that. Um, so, what are the – we had one last one. It's uh, – this is for hello to Keeley. Hello, Keeley and gentlemen. Could the games played in the evening make a difference on how they play? I agree on the full blown practices too. fight on uh, from K uh, games being played in the evening. Um, I think there's, you know, I think if you're practicing in the morning, I think the evening games could have some sort of effect. USC typically practices in the afternoon. Um, I don't think there's a huge difference between you practice at four and a kickoff at seven 30, anything like that. Uh, I do think traveling East can be, um, you know, it hurts players, hurts teams. We've seen that in the NFL. Uh, I don't think it's really anything impactful as far as USC goes because they don't practice in the morning. And I know like Chip Kelly was doing that. And there were some studies that came out um, 
about that where like, Hey, you're, you're like geared up to play in the mornings and then you don't play, uh, you know, completely different clock. So I, I'm no expert on, on how all that stuff works, but it does seem like, you know, there's something to that where, uh, you know, if you're practicing early and you're playing late, it might be your, your body clock might be, uh, very different. So, um, we'll see, but I, I don't think it's a real big issue, uh, with USC because of, you know, practicing in the afternoons and stuff. All right. Well, that's our preview show. Got a few of the questions in. Um, we should have another, uh, I know they did one already, uh, Family Feud podcast. And we'll have our normal Thursday live broadcast as well. So that should be fun. Um, make sure you check all that stuff out. And uh, yeah, everything else is up at uscfootball.com. But we really appreciate you listening to the Peristyle podcast. Football's back this weekend in the Coliseum. Try to get there early. Remember all the parking, all that kind of stuff is still... You know, still construction zone, still stuff going on there. And uh, the Pac-12 Network will be broadcasting live, 3 p.m. Pacific. McCarthy Quad, if you want to go check that out. Uh, they'll be there. I'll probably be around there hanging out and uh, check it out before the game. So thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 